You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Revelation 14 in your Bibles, it says in verse number one, and I looked. It's a good thing to do, isn't it? It's a good thing to open your eyes and look around. There's a lot of things you'll see, a lot of blessings you'll see if you'll just look. John says, I looked and lo, a lamb. This is not any lamb. This is not an animal, but this is a person and it's capital L. We know in the book of John that Jesus Christ is the lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. And John says, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred, forty, and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now turn back with me, if you would, to Revelation uh, chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 3, John saw another beast. Uh, this was not a beast, it was a, a person. But Revelation 12, 3, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. This is Satan. Boy, John saw that beast representing Satan. And then in Revelation 13, 1, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns and upon his horns ten crowns and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard and his feet as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seed and great authority. We saw in Revelation 13, this beast uh, that, that came up out of the sea, this is the Antichrist, and this is a man. This is a person that will be empowered by Satan during the tribulation period. So we saw in Revelation 12, a dragon. Revelation 13, we saw this, this, this terrible beast coming out of the sea. Oh, but I love it, Revelation 14. John said, but there was another. And this was not a dragon, and this was not a terrible beast, but this was a lamb. Hallelujah for the Lamb of God. And friend, don't, don't get your eyes on all the, the, the negative, and don't get your eyes on all the, uh, the things of this world, and, and don't, don't, don't start getting worried, thinking that Satan's got control. Oh, he might be having, he might be having a little bit of fun right now, and he, you may, he may think that he's kind of got his way. But I want to remind you, there is a lamb that is going to defeat the dragon, and there is a lamb that is going to defeat the Antichrist, Jesus Christ the Lamb, Revelation 14, 1, he stood on the Mount Zion. That's Jerusalem. And of course, when Jesus comes back at the end of that tribulation, he will come and he will stand in Jerusalem and he will defeat and he will destroy all the armies that have gathered together against him. But it says in Revelation 14 that he stood on the Mount Zion. And with him, there were 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne 
and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Verse 4, these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Our Father, I pray you'd speak to us and encourage our hearts as we look at this passage of Scripture. And what an encouragement in the midst of all the, the judgments and in the midst of all the, uh, the torment of the tribulation. What a blessing it is to get our eyes back on Jesus. And I pray that you'd help us tonight to turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And we know the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Please, Lord, help us tonight and give me the words to say, guide my mind and guide my mouth to speak only those things that you'd have me to say. Help us all tonight to receive your word and to be helped because of it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 14, I know I won't get through this chapter tonight, but we'll at least uh, try our best and we'll get a good start on it. I want you to notice number one, uh, our outline for this chapter is, I see there is a sight. John says, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. Now keep in mind, John has seen some awful things. John gets a glimpse into the tribulation period that will take place on this earth. Now, let me remind you, we saw in Revelation chapter 1, John got a glimpse of Jesus. He saw Jesus, and he saw Jesus, and he fell on his face, and he worshiped the Lord. But then in Revelation 2 and 3, we find the letters that were given to the churches, the seven churches in Asia Minor. But something happens in Revelation chapter 4. The Bible says, I heard a voice as of a trumpet saying, come up hither. Well, well, what do we know that to be? That's the rapture of the church. You won't find the word rapture anywhere in the Bible, but you will certainly find that event. First Thessalonians chapter 4, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We see that event takes place. It's the rapture of the church. It's the rapture of the same. It could happen tonight. As sure as I am, actually even more sure than the fact that I'm standing here. The rapture could happen at any moment. The trumpet could sound and we will be gone. I say we. I'm assuming tonight and I'm praying tonight that you know Jesus Christ as Savior. Because for those that do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, they will not be raptured up. They will not be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. But they'll be left behind. And contrary to the book series and contrary to the movie that was released, those that have rejected Jesus Christ before the rapture will not get another opportunity after the rapture. The Bible says that those that have rejected Jesus Christ when the rapture takes place, uh, they will be sent a strong delusion that they will believe a lie. 
That's why you don't say, well, I'll wait till after the rapture to get saved. You won't have another chance. If you've had the opportunity to get saved and you have rejected that, your chances will be gone. And you say, well, what am I supposed to do? Get saved today. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today because the rapture is coming. It is God delivering his people from the wrath to come. And so we see the rapture, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 5, we see a scene in heaven. I believe that is the judgment seat of Christ. Revelation 4 and 5, and they sing, who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals, and worthy is the Lamb. And then chapter 6 through chapter 19, we see the, the tribulation. The tribulation period that takes place on earth will last for seven years. Now, the whole tribulation is going to be bad. But the first three and a half years will not be nearly as bad as the second three and a half years. During that second half of the tribulation, uh, the judgment of God will be unleashed upon this world and Satan will do all that he can to persecute the Jews and to, to kill uh, those that, that, that identify with Christ. And so here we see in Revelation 14, we see in the midst of all of this, this, this tragedy and all of this torment, John sees the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him, the Bible says, there are 144,000. Now, those 144,000 are, every one of them are Jews. Every one of them are Jewish people, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they are Jewish evangelists. They're Jewish preachers. They have been saved during the tribulation period. So what does that tell you? That tells you that they didn't have an opportunity to get saved before the rapture. But after the rapture took place during the tribulation period, they will turn to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ will give them a special seal. He'll give them a special protection that although Satan will try to destroy them and Satan will try to stop them, they have been sealed by God to preach the gospel. And by the way, during the tribulation period, there will be many people that will get saved. There'll be many people that will turn to Jesus. Praise God for that. But the Bible says about these 144,000, they have his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, what, what have we seen in the previous chapter? We saw another identification in the forehead, but that was not the name of God the Father in the forehead. That was the mark of the beast. Those are they who identify with Satan. They are they who, who worship the, the Antichrist and they who reject God. But now we have 144,000 that say, not only are we not taking the mark of the beast, but we are not ashamed to identify with our God. And friend, can I tell you, as Christians today, I, I think sometimes we get a little timid. I think we get a little shy. I think sometimes we, we worry about what people will think. But I hope that we will leave this place tonight with a new determination and a new boldness to say, it doesn't matter what the world thinks. Doesn't matter what people say. What matters is that I please God. What matters is that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
We see, number one, there was a sight. John sees the lamb. He sees the 144,000, and they are standing for Jesus. And now, in verse number one, they are standing with Jesus. Can I tell you, that's going to happen to us one of these days. For those who have stood for Jesus and those who have taken a stand for what is right and taken a stand for the truth of the word of God, there's coming a day when we're going to stand with him in glory. Boy, what a day that's going to be. I, I, I picture in my mind, I picture maybe some soldiers that have been on a battlefield. And boy, they've been fighting and they've been, they've been in the trenches together. And then after the battle is over and the victory is won, they stand together and they rejoice in what has been done. And what a day of rejoicing that's going to be when we all get to heaven. Those who have stood for Jesus will stand with Jesus. They were protected by God. They were protected through the tribulation period. Now, let me ask you this. If God can protect his people, his 144,000 witnesses during a tribulation where the Antichrist is in power and where Satan is unleashing his persecution against God's people, if God can protect people during the tribulation, do you think God can take care of us today? I believe he can. I believe he's able. I believe he will. God always takes care of his children. You're not going to forsake your children. You're not going to take, we were, we were uh, last uh, Friday, we had a, our school field trip, we went to the zoo. And let me tell you, that's a little risky taking students to the zoo because you're not sure which ones they're going to let out, which ones they're going to think belong and need to stay, you know, but thankfully we got them all out. But we went to the zoo. And as you're there at the zoo, you are going to protect your children. You know why? Because they're your children. You love them. You care about them. And if you would love and protect your child, how much more so does your heavenly father love and protect you as his child? He'll, he will protect his own and he protects them during the tribulation. They have a mark on their forehead. Now, why do you think the mark is on the forehead? It's hard to miss, huh? It's hard to hide. And that mark is on their forehead as, as if to say, I am associated with God and I am not ashamed of that association. Many times at a workplace, you'll have a, a badge, you'll have a, a, an ID. And what that ID, that, that is identifying that you associate with the company, you work for that company. And friend, as a child of God, we ought not be ashamed to associate with him. But we see, number one, we see a sight. Number two, we see a Savior. Who's the Savior? The Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. The Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. But number three, I see there is a sound. John said in verse one, I looked. He saw something. But in verse two, he says, I heard a voice from heaven. You know, it's a good thing to listen isn't it a good thing when, when somebody's talking, if you're listening? Uh, especially for uh, some of our, our students in school, when the teacher's talking, it's a good thing to listen because there might be something you need to know, right? There might be a test or there might be a quiz. I had teachers in school that they loved to do pop quizzes. Any of you have teachers like that? And I always wanted to say, but you never told us. How were we supposed to know? And the teacher would always say, if you come to my class, 
You better pay attention because everything's important. <laughs> and everything that is said can and will be used against you on a test. And so you just be ready. But John is listening and he hears a voice from heaven. Boy, isn't that good. You know, I wonder when was the last time that you heard from heaven? When was the last time that I heard from heaven? I didn't say when was the last time you heard a preacher, when was the last time you, you heard a Bible verse, uh, but, but I said when was the last time that you heard from heaven? I'm talking about God spoke to you. And it wasn't in an audible voice, but it was the, the, the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit of God. And you knew it. There was no mistake. It was God trying to get your attention. It was God telling you something. And John heard a voice from heaven. It says in verse number two, and the voice was of many waters. What a, what a powerful voice this must have been. The voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. What a beautiful sound this must have been that John heard. But then it says in verse number three, and they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. John said, I heard not only a voice from heaven, but I heard a song coming from heaven. He said it was the 144,000 witnesses that they sang a song that only they could sing. It was only applicable to them. It was only something uh, that meant something to them. And it was a song that they were singing. I love, I love music. I love congregational music. I love hearing the piano and the organ and the guitars, and I love the choirs and the special music. I love all kinds of music. I love, I love the good old hymns. Don't you love the good old hymns? I love it. But I'll tell you this, I'm not opposed to new songs as long as they glorify the Lord, as long as it's not rock and roll, as long as it's not contemporary uh, uh, music that, that, that praises and glorifies man and, 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 and you could easily mistake for a rock concert. You just bring it in church and put a few Christian words and everything's good. I'm not for that. But boy, I love new songs. I think it was, I, I forget, uh, Bethany, if you were the one that did it, but it was a few years ago here at church and, I, and we had never done the song before, but... The song was uh, sung for all he's done. Did you do that, Bethany? Do you remember that song? And uh, I, remember, I remember hearing that song, and I remember thinking, wow, that spoke to me. It talked about praising God for all that he's done, for all the blessings, for all the goodness. And it was a new song. And you know what God, God used? He used a new song to stir my heart. Now, it doesn't have to be a brand new song, but here's what I'm saying. It ought to move you. It ought to stir you. It ought to do something in your heart. And it ought to be something that is fresh and something that is new. Now, here's what I'm saying. You could sing Amazing Grace, and it could stir you. You could sing How Great Thou Art, or To God Be the Glory. And it's not a new song, but boy, it seems new. It seems fresh. It's powerful. It does something to you. And John hears a new song. David said it like this. Psalm 40 and verses 1 through 3. He said, God lifted him up out of an horrible pit and set his feet upon a rock. And God gave him a new song. And I hope that 
the music of, of, of praise and the music of worship, I hope it doesn't get old to you. I hope it doesn't bore you. I hope it's not just ho-hum. I hope that God uses the music of the, the songs of, the, of Zion to stir your heart. John heard a new song sung by those 144,000 Jewish witnesses. They sang that song before the throne, verse number 3. And before the beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but those 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. You know why we've got something to sing about? Because we've been redeemed. We've been saved by the grace of God. And we see number four, uh, there is a song, a song of redemption that John hears. Number five, quickly, I want you to see in this passage, these 144,000, it says in verse number four, these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Number five, I see that these witnesses, these, these evangelists, these preachers of the gospel, number five, they were separated. Now, the Bible says here something very unusual, but it makes it very clear that these men were not married, they had never been married. They were pure. They were virgins. And the Bible makes a point to say that. Now, now hang on. Is there anything wrong with being married? Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. There's nothing wrong with being married. It's a wonderful thing. Marriage was God's idea. Now, does that mean that everybody has to get married? No. How about, there was a missionary that I read about in the New Testament. He never got married. Anybody remember his name? Paul. You say, well, why not? Well, for Paul, he dedicated, he consecrated his life to God. And basically, in essence, he, he didn't have time for anything else except to follow God and serve God. How about Jesus? Jesus never got married. Uh, by the way, during the tribulation period, the Bible even says that it would be good for people not to get married because of the, the suffering. It'd be good for women not to have children during the tribulation period because of the suffering. But here we see that these men, these 144,000 men, they were pure. They were committed to Christ. And notice what it says. They follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. Now, I think, the, I think the, the picture here is so incredible because usually you follow the sheep, follow the shepherd. But here, God's people, they follow the lamb and they follow him wherever he goes. I was thinking about this as I was preparing. That's our theme for the church this year is to follow Jesus. And these 144,000, they said, Jesus, wherever you lead, we are going. Wherever you want us to go, we're following you. And we see they were separated. They're saved during the tribulation, and they will lead many others to Christ during the tribulation. 
At the end of the tribulation, we see the nation of Israel will turn to Christ. And these are those, verse number uh, four, who are the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile. What does that mean to have no guile? It means no deceit. It means to be honest. The Bible says they are without fault. Does that mean that they are sinless? No, I don't believe so. But the word, that, that the terminology without fault, it means to be uh, blameless. It means that, that nothing sticks. They have a testimony that is pleasing to God. Now, do you think it's any wonder that these 144,000, that they see so many people saved and they do so many amazing things during the tribulation? I don't think so. Because God always uses people that are holy. God uses people that are pure. God uses people that are honest. God uses people that have a testimony that is blameless. We see that these witnesses were steadfast. Number six, and I'll close with this thought. Number six is found in verse six. It says, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Number six, the word I'll give you is the word salvation. In the midst of the tribulation period, God is still offering salvation. This angel is declaring the everlasting gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And without the gospel, you can't get saved. The gospel is the only way that a person can be saved and born again and have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And in the midst of the tribulation, God is once again pouring out His mercy. That's amazing. Aren't you glad that God was merciful to you? I'm glad God was merciful to me. Aren't you glad that in many cases, God gave you multiple chances to get saved? Many people, many people do not get saved the first time they hear the gospel. I was saved at an early age. I was just a boy, but I know it wasn't the first time. I know my parents had shared the gospel with me. I know I'd heard it in church. I know I'd heard it in Sunday school. And I'm thankful that God was gracious to me and he gave me Multiple chances. Now, God doesn't owe us multiple chances. But I'm thankful for his mercy. And in the midst of the tribulation, there's an angel flying and having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And in case you're wondering who that is, it says in verse 6, it is to every nation, every kindred, and tongue, meaning every language, and every people sang with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Next week, we'll pick up with verse number seven, but I want to leave you with this thought, salvation. If you're here tonight and you've never been saved, it is not too late to get saved today. Maybe you're watching this service online. Maybe you're listening by way of radio and you say, but pastor, I've had a lot of chances and I've not gotten saved yet. Well, good news. Here's another chance. Here's another opportunity where God in his mercy has extended to you an invitation to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
and to know for sure that you've been saved. Isn't God so good to us? God is so good. He is so merciful. Uh, his, his pardon there was great and grace was free. Hallelujah for God's mercy. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.